It's November 15, 1904, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. If anyone knows anything about Gillette, it's that it's the company that came up with the so-called razor and blades business model, where you sell one item at a low price, say a razor handle, in order to increase sales of a complementary item, for example, razors. Instant cameras were a business that did this, and many printers too. So it's curious that patent 775134, which was granted to Charles C. Gillette today in history in 1904, was for a new razor whose handle was expensive, and whose blades were also expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Look, in fairness, it's named after his business model. He didn't realise at the time that that was going to be what he they really called the model. Didn't. Yeah. <laughs> what he did realise, though, was the anti-competitive power that the patent would give him. Because whilst other firms could and did uh, enter the replaceable blade market once he'd established that that was a thing, with their own handles and their own blades... No one was allowed to produce Gillette-compatible handles or blades Mm. during the life of this patent. So this patent on this day enabled him to say... My company is going to be like Apple, basically. We're going to make the hardware and the software, if you yeah, like. No one's going to yeah. be able to come and make a blade that fits my razor. Yes, and Gillette hadn't actually invented the first safety razor. So prior to the late 1800s, being shaved usually meant that you were going to a barber because we're talking, you know, an open razor, not the kind of thing you want to be wielding on your own face if you can possibly afford for someone to do it for you. But since the 1870s, you could buy a safety razor, you know, an old-fashioned razor blade mm. inside a protective case that would make it slightly less likely that you would cut your own throat. But the blade inside these safety razors still had to be taken out and resharpened. And this meant that not only did you have to strop your blade every time you were going to use it, basically rubbing it up and down a big leather strap, you also eventually would have to take it to a cutler to have it honed to return it to its original sharpness. So even oh, though you could buy a safety razor... That's a trip you... I would like to make, though. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> a could... great reason to leave the house. I mean, it it might sound quaint now, but I think at the time it was just another chore on the to-do list. So even Mm. though you could buy safety razors, the vast majority of men who could possibly afford to still preferred to go to a bar, but sometimes multiple times a week, which again was another expense and another chore. So the feature of Gillette's razor that really revolutionised the market was the fact that it came with these never-before-seen ultra-thin disposable blades. Mm. Well, this was the interesting thing about King Gillette. And by the way, who calls their kid King? (laughs) It's got kind of (laughs) Prince Michael Jackson Um, Somebody who wants their son to be a winner which he was. There is yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so he he has a pretty unremarkable life up until his late 30s, at which point he was a door-to-door salesman who was hired by a man who was just about to invent this thing called the crown cork, which is the bottle cap. It's the thing that you used to have to pop off a, uh, a bottle with a bottle opener. And this was the first sort of truly mass market disposable item. And in the 19th century, Americans just didn't have that many disposable products lying around. But Gillette's boss, who invented this thing, encouraged Gillette to try to think of a disposable item of his own. And so he had this kind of thing in the back of his mind that he was contemplating for years and years. And one morning, as he was staring in the mirror, uh, shaving himself, he had this idea. I can, t- I can create... his razor blade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for the umpteenth time. Yeah, to make something that you can throw away after you've used it enough times. But it still took another six years in production to get it ready yeah. to... Because metallurgy is more complicated than just coming up with an idea, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I do think people undermine what he achieved when they say, oh, he came up with the concept of a safe and inexpensive and disposable blade. It's like, well, 
lots of people come up with the concept of flying cars, but it still takes decades for someone to even go close <laughs> yeah. to making them. And he went and saw some scientists at MIT who advised him it was not possible. What he wanted to do, cut from sheet metal so mm. that it was hard enough and thin enough and inexpensive enough for the commercial development that he needed en masse, was not possible. Mm. And yet... Half a dozen years later, he had a prototype that was good enough to patent and form this company that remains, over 100 years later, an absolutely enormous name in grooming. But what really popularised the razor was the First World War, because according to army regulations, soldiers had to be clean-shaven. And prior to this, you know, if you think of a world where if you don't want to have a five o'clock shadow, you have to go to the barber every day or you have to find someone who's competent enough to shave you. It's going to be much more acceptable to go around with a beard or with stubble. People aren't going to think anything of an ordinary working man having a few days worth of stubble. But when all of these ordinary men were suddenly being conscripted into the army, this is particularly in the US, they were being issued with these Gillette kits. He had won the contract because the Gillette razor and blades were particularly convenient for use in the field. He supplied them with millions and soldiers were allowed to keep their shaving kits when they returned home. It kind of makes sense that the army probably wouldn't want those back and so that had changed you know it had changed the way that a generation of young men were thinking about how often you needed to shave who could shave you you could now shave yourself and yeah. this was the point where as you mentioned Arian, the initial model of razor did not follow the razors and blades business model it had cost five dollars which was several days wages to an mm. average person but after world war one with all of these new customers and also the fact that the patent on the technology was going to expire in 1921 which they knew they decided that to stay competitive with the new rivals they would drop the price of the handle to $1. But interestingly, they never increased the price of the blades. Mm. So even though the blades do carry a massive high margin, they always felt like a bargain because it was always cleanly and simply priced at a dollar for a box. But actually what happened is once the patent expired, they just decreased the amount of blades you got for that dollar and no one noticed. So you used to get a dozen and then you got ten. They invented shrinkflation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but actually between World War One and World War Two, Gillette's fortunes sort of fluctuated a little bit, not least because there was this moment where Gillette was actually sued for copyright infringement by a group called Autostrop. <laughs> I'm so glad now we've defined what stropping is. Yeah. I'm glad I invested all of my savings in Autostrop. That's something that will never go out of fashion. Well, even Autostrop. So they had to settle in a way that wasn't terribly satisfactory for Gillette, but even Autostrop recognised that, that Gillette was the better brand name and that was the brand that ultimately carried on. But by the time we hit World War II, Gillette did another incredibly savvy thing, which was to get back involved in the war effort in the way that they had done previously by providing servicemen with uh, 12.5 million razors and 1.5 billion blades. But also they had... Whereas they... it was Hitler who had the moustache. <laughs> yeah. But you they know, also... If things had gone another way, they could have pivoted, couldn't they? <laughs> to beard trimmers. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Gillette actually did this fascinating thing where they assisted US Army military intelligence by producing copies of German razor blades for secret agents who were going behind German lines so that they wouldn't be uh, sort of outed when they got out their shaving equipment. And they also produced uh, razor that concealed both money and escape maps in their handles. So they had this sort of hair-brained James Bond Q thing going on as That's well cool. in World War II. Yeah. 
And another thing that contributed to the turnaround of Gillette's fortunes in the 1940s was that they became one of the early pioneers of TV advertising. Right from the beginning, TV ads have been a huge part of Gillette's business. They ran their first ever one in 1944, when not that many people had TVs to watch them on. They became the sponsor of what became known as the Gillette Cavalcade of Sports, setting off this link with sports and by extension, mainstream masculinity, you know? There's nothing wimpy about Mm. shaving yourself, guys. But if you think about it, it's like they're having to undo centuries of association between facial hair and manliness and really Mm. within a couple of decades they did it they just kept showing men shaving their faces in the mirror while the narration kept saying real man over and over again (laughs) you know and people got the idea that a real man was a clean shaven man and yet you know probably the biggest implication of Gillette's entire career is what you mentioned on top which is the razor and blades business model which as you said he sort of almost stumbled into he realized that making something disposable that customers would return to was a good business model but hadn't realized the depths of what is now oft quoted in business schools which is this idea for example around video games where the console is also not cheap actually is it no but it's maybe made at a loss or a break-even price but the thing you put in it i.e the disc which costs 50 cents is sold to you for 50 pounds yeah but there's a psychological thing for the consumer which is, well, I've, I've bought my Nespresso machine now, so it's worth mm. spending a pound per coffee on the pods, mm. whereas the machine itself is actually rather more complicated than the $50 you spent on it, and the pods are worth a fraction of as much as you're paying. And that has become hugely influential. Yeah. And the thing with adverts for grooming, especially a new product, is that you have to convince people that they're doing something wrong by sticking with the current thing that hasn't done them any harm so far. You know, if you're trying to convince men that they ought to be clean-shaven every day of the week and most men are used to walking around with stubble, you've got to communicate the idea that what they're doing is wrong and what you're saying is better. But Gillette in particular has always gone way more to the carrot side of that equation than the stick. If you look at some of the old adverts for sanitary products, for instance, they're predicated very much on the you know, if you don't use these products, you you could have an accident, you could look bad. You know, if you don't do X, Y, Z, you'd be unattractive. And Gillette has always gone down the route of, you're incredible, men. My word, we finally invented the product that is worthy of you. So, you know, obviously Gillette is very famous for the the best a man can get slogan and song. And the opening lines are literally, you're looking sharp, you're looking good, you've come so far. (laughs) Tomorrow. If you just think about it, like, we're in Russia in November. How would he see her in her undergarments? Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.